Professor Brain Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash thevulnerablescientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. We were at the place where you're talking about your PhD. You mentioned a bit about your PhD research, but uh, uh, PhD experience, like going into the into PhD. But I want to understand first. Um, you you mentioned that you you didn't like have a burning question that you wanted to pursue. You're looking for different opportunities when you're in Rwanda, right? Yeah. So like you had something yeah. in mind. So, um. What made you, apart from you not being sure if you want to pursue it or not, what made you apply to this particular PhD? Was it a like, was it a, a, a already like a project ongoing, or did you have to come with your own research? No, it was a it was an ongoing project. Uh, a few <laughs> international like, research institutes um, were behind something. Um, and they had, uh, yeah, they had some ongoing projects, and they were uh, they were looking for researchers to study um, market access in East Africa, farmers' market access to, to East Africa, and very broadly, mm-hmm. um, and even within economics, this is an extremely broad topic. So there's like a lot mm-hmm. of flexibility in it because access to market can mean just about anything. Uh, it could even be not having access to markets. <laughs> Let's understand yeah. that. Uh, um, or um, you can relate it back to production because uh, how much farmers grow is directly, directly related to how much they participate in markets. And um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a broad topic on a pre-established like, research project. Um, uh-huh. So in that sense, there was, um, virtually unlimited flexibility um, as long as I could tie it back to this topic which frankly I think just about everything in the field can be tied back to that topic in one way or another um, mm. um, then yeah and I mean like my my promoters were uh, very encouraging for, for, for me and the two other PhD students who came in at the time to um, under the same project uh, to really pursue the the research that we wanted to, and uh, yeah, really develop our own our own research uh, projects. So in that uh. sense, um, like I was very lucky to have a lot of flexibility because I didn't have an advisor who was trying to um, put his name on my papers and like squeeze publications out of me or push me in a certain direction. Uh-huh. Um, um, so for me, this worked really well because I'm interested in lots of things um but yeah i mean it i i would say this doesn't work so well for other PhD students because everybody's different and uh, needs a different, no, type a different of environment and, yeah um exactly 
so yeah, and I think yeah, I mean the like one of the hardest things for me in the beginning, and I still think this is the hardest part of research is really finding good questions, finding something that's uh, something that's interesting, but something that's very doable and applicable. Uh, um, and I think for social sciences uh, and, and economics in general, I, I think it's, um, I don't know what it's like in, in say STEM or some of the harder science, uh, sciences, um, but yeah, finding these good questions is, is like really difficult because uh, a good question also has to be something that you can research. So mm -hmm. a question like, why are some countries rich and some countries poor is the most interesting question, uh, but it's also the most impossible question to answer uh, because mm -hmm. you, can't, you, can't, um, you can't apply experimental approaches. You have to come up with very fancy statistical techniques to get around the fact that there's absolutely nothing in this that you can control. You can't run a randomized controlled trial. You can't run a double-blind study. You can't do all of these things. So the most fascinating questions in a lot of ways are, are they're still not good questions because uh, they're, they're, they're not answerable. Um, and so I think this is a really tough like, balance to find in the first year because it's like I'm still trying to figure out like what I'm doing and there's coursework and there's all these things going on and you're trying to get started. And then it's like, I want to answer big questions. Um, but like, I also want to do something that's like, uh, like very sound methodologically and striking that balance I find is uh, sometimes really difficult. Um, and yeah, and I think as a first year PhD, like, um, yeah, you don't have as much experience developing that because all of the previous projects I had been on, somebody had already come up mm. with a research question, yes. somebody had already yeah. developed, this is what we're going to do. And in that sense, yeah. I was just an implementer. It was just taking someone's idea and operationalizing it. Uh, yeah. And now it's like, oh, I'm given the opportunity to... Now I have to come up with my own questions and dictate how it's going to be done and all of this stuff. Um, and yeah, I find that quite um, Yeah. Well, you've, you've made me think about something I've never really thought about, like the difference between coming into a pre-designed project and coming in and being given a topic and now designing the whole project or even thinking about the topic like yeah. i've never really thought about that like um because for now for me i'm currently doing a pre-design project as much as i i twist around things like the small questions that i needed to be answered um it's, it's still the whole thing it's some to it someone's idea right I'm just kind of implementing the whole thing, but it's different. I've also thought about like the other PhDs that have already been designed. It's kind of different for a student, like a student. Okay. There's the learning that comes with the research, but there's also the learning, the pre-research learning that is, because it's, it's part of research and it's one of the most important things when you're becoming a full you know, full-fledged scientist. I've never thought about that. You just made me think about something. Yeah, and in like some ways, it's the most. Uh, in some ways, it's the most exciting part uh, because mm. um, 
Because what, what you're really doing is going out and you're looking at everything that's out there. Let's look at all of the knowledge that's out there on a certain topic. And now I have to place my research question in such a way that uh, I'm filling a knowledge gap. So you need to mm -hmm. understand like uh, what is known, but more importantly, what is not known. And out of all of the things that are not known, what is most interesting? What is most relevant? What is, uh, and I find this to be the most difficult part of research. Uh, it's really mm. uh, under, un, uh, yeah, like coming up with these, uh, these questions. Um, yeah. It's hopefully uh, something it, I get better at. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but at least you, you're different now. You, 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 you can't compare yourself with someone who didn't do that, like didn't have experience doing that as a scientist. Like for you, it's, it will be much more easier when it comes to you doing your work compared to someone who never really had that experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I hope. Right. That's what I hope. Um, and I do think if like people spend long enough in science, uh, you have to do it eventually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you also mentioned know. something. You also mentioned something about you not being sure that first you you you're not like sure if you want to do this or not. Um yeah. Can you talk more about that and tell me what you feel about it now compared to then? Yeah, so I think yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I think the not being sure was due to a variety of reasons of whether this was the right career move, whether it's necessary to, to get a PhD to have a, a career in research, um, which I still don't think it's necessary. Uh, it changes the way you're going to interact with uh, research, but uh, it's for sure not a, not a requirement to, be, to have a PhD to do research. Um, so I think, yeah, like um, now, yeah, I mean, now, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I don't have a, I don't have a comparison group yet. Like, so I have no idea what my life would look like uh, if I didn't do it. Uh, and I am happy where things ended up. So uh, this is the, um, I, I am happy that I have done it. I think that, uh, I mean, I, I, I've learned an incredible amount. Uh, and so many doors and opportunities. I mean, even the fact that I live in Kenya is uh, a result of my PhD. I mean, so there's just so many aspects of like my personal uh, as well as professional life uh, that have to do with the PhD. So that like it's impossible for me to even imagine like what how things would have ended up otherwise. Um, but I do think that it's been a a very fruitful uh, journey. I think that, uh, I mean, I've, I've learned so much uh, and I've probably even learned more personally and about how to approach life than I have professionally uh, mm. because the PhD throws you into, in a lot of ways, you're isolated uh, and like part of the PhD is having no idea what you're doing and having people around you who like you know what they're doing but they're like that nah, you just gotta figure it out <laughs> wow. so i think um That's i think a lot of it is spot on like 
Yeah, exactly. And I think this uh, this really helped me to grow. It really helped me to mature and like uh, not just professionally and being thrown into professional situations that are unfamiliar and um, lacking support, um, but also like personal uh, um, personal issues that might reflect the same set of environment, like seemingly impossible problem. Uh, you don't have you don't have all the support that you wish you had, uh, and yeah. And so I feel like there's a lot of uh, life lessons. Um, so it's really yeah. I I really can't say that uh, I would have done it differently. Or yeah, I'm I'm very happy with the whole process. Of course, yeah. uh, hmm. professionally Thanks interested. for saying that. Like how how you your PhD like directly affects like the things that you learn when doing a PhD there's so much apply in your day-to-day life right and and I love that you highlighted that because we we don't see we don't sometimes you don't see that but uh, doing a PhD is not all about career advancement it's also about personal development like the way you think see things the way you solve problems even like it's, it's totally different all right so um so um what you stayed in netherlands for one year right so what what made you uh come to what tell me that transition between netherlands and kenya like what happened <laughs> So I, I worked on a sandwich PhD. Um, this is what they're called. So the uh. the first the first year was uh, you're supposed to be in the Netherlands. The second year you're supposed to be in your home country. Um, but somehow I yeah somehow I I got through and um, yeah I my home country was uh, East Africa. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the fourth year was supposed to be back in the Netherlands. Um, so I think I had an interest in doing, um, research in, uh, Kenya or Ethiopia. Um, I, I, like my working experience right. in East Africa had been in Rwanda. Uh, why? Because, um, I think I just wanted something different than, like, I didn't want to go back to Rwanda. I think I wanted uh, something different. Uh, and so... Yeah, I mean, just reading. I mean, uh, I I had never been to either to either country at that time. Um, but yeah, like I I knew a lot of people doing work there, and like uh, I, I I was limited in my geographic scope, and so these were these mm. were the two countries to look at projects in and try to try to develop a PhD projects that would make sense because. Um, yeah, like uh, a lot of the research is focused on on these countries in East Africa, and uh, I mean they're the biggest uh, the biggest economies, and in some sense it's uh, it's the most um, it's the most um, vibrant research communities, if you will. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think this is part of my 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 decision making there. But um, so yeah, then. I yeah I went and looked for looked for PhD projects to or research projects sorry that I could that I could join and um, ended up in yeah 
<laughs> I met some researchers ah. here and uh, we decided that uh, yeah, we could collaborate. And so I moved here. <laughs> okay. So tell me, okay, this is, I think, the last question that I'm asking in terms of science, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. What is that? Okay, you want to take water. Let me let you take water. Okay. Thank you. So what is that? Th- it's okay. What is that thing that uh, you were working on? Do you want to talk about that, first of all? Like what you were working on? With your PhD, because now I understand it's over. You're just waiting for your graduation. You've yeah. already, you've yeah. already def- defended. No, I, it's not quite over. Uh, I'm waiting for the committee uh. to get back to me. Uh, so they're sitting okay. with the, the manuscript now. So you, um, so you're in that position where you're waiting for, to know if you you'll be a doctor, right? Exactly. Exactly. How are you feeling uh, about that? Uh, fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't wanna. I don't wanna say that I'm confident because uh, <laughs> because uh, there, there's this possibility that like the the review committee looks at my work and it's like, hey, this is terrible. Mm. <laughs> you need to go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always that possibility, wow. right? So I I don't mm, know. Yeah. I I don't know what the committee is saying. Um, I think my saving grace is that usually it doesn't get to the committee unless the the department and the promoters feel that the committee will approve. Uh, so this is how oh, it typically okay. works in the Netherlands because uh, first they don't want to waste like other academics' time with like sending bad theses, uh, and yeah, they don't. I mean, you don't want your department to show that like you're putting out bad research. So, like, this is how I'm thinking about it. This is how I'm justifying that I will pass. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah, I turned it in maybe uh, maybe two months ago or six weeks ago or something like that. and yeah, I felt surprisingly um, little. <laughs> like I didn't mm-hmm. feel much. Like I, I turned it in, and it was just like uh, I met another deadline. And like because uh, in my like in my mind, it's like still I see I see things in the paper where I'm like, uh, if I had more time, I would change this. Uh, so like sometimes we're our own worst critics. Uh, so I feel like four years of work and I turn it in and I'm like, I like all I can see in it is like areas for improvement, like, okay, what am I going to change before I submit all of these to journals? So it didn't feel, it didn't feel like as much of an accomplishment as I thought it would. Mm. Uh, so maybe, I, I hope it's different when they, if, if they approve and if I graduate, I Maybe mm. it will it'll feel a bit better then. But then yeah. now. <laughs> mm. Thanks for sharing that. I've never had a conversation with someone who's just submitted and waiting for something like that period. I've never had a conversation with such. So that's exciting to know how you're feeling right now. Yeah, it's All a right, bit of so... a weird stage because I. 
Like, mm. I want to plan my postdocs and stuff like that, uh, but if I don't get the PhD, then I can't do a postdoc, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it's a real, it's a real change Wait. of uncertainty. But, uh. mm. Okay, so you're explaining about your research. And then I interrupted. <laughs> uh, about the PhD research, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so the PhD research, it's four chapters. So um, each chapter is covering actually very different topics under the broad umbrella of how do farmers um, interact with markets uh, to deal with uh, deal with the risks that they face. Uh, so these risks could be food price changes, the climatic risks, they could be uh, pests and diseases. Um, I mean, farming is strictly business. Uh, so each of the uh, each of the papers approaches it from a different viewpoint. So one of them, the first one, like really approaches it from a, a theoretical standpoint developing an economic theory for how can we link market access production diversity and also dietary diversity for the household and create like a nutrition sensitive agricultural household model um, and uh, we use some data from, from tanzania to, to do um, test all the model uh, hypotheses um, and yeah it's really looking at okay so what's driving what's driving household nutrition um, and there's a lot of discussion of okay, is it market access and households can purchase more more goods, uh, more diverse sets of food, or maybe they should just grow it on their farm and have production diversity, drive the dietary diversity. Um, so yeah, it's really a discussion uh, presenting the theory of all of this uh, and then having some analysis uh, behind it. Um, yeah, so then, uh, then we get into, uh, um, uh, then I get into uh, intra-household decision-making, like really looking at how men and women are making decisions on the farm and how they're interacting with each other uh, to make, uh, make um, on-farm investment decisions. Um, so we would want to understand, okay, like how are they deciding to invest in agricultural technologies? What are, what are, what's the bargaining process going on? Um, and when men and women have to provide the labor as well, how are they taking that into account, right? So our, our, our mm -hmm. hypothesis was like, okay, if, if say men are making decisions in the household, right? Uh, they might they might invest in technologies that require a lot of additional labor, but if they can just uh, like off put that labor onto their wives, uh, then we might have a lot of bad uh, adoption consequences of this, um, because women are already uh, doing most of the household duties and have less time than men, and then there's already just gender inequality. So really, this research was focused on understanding, like, okay, how can we push technology adoption and in a gender-sensitive way uh, that would reduce labor burdens for women. Uh, and by the way, that hypothesis uh, did not pan out in our research at all. Men were not doing this. Uh, they were uh, they were actually overconfident in their own abilities <laughs> and investing more when they were providing the labor rather than... Uh, um, 
so we, we didn't see this this dynamic going on in in our in our study, but uh, we found some other gender based ineffectiveness mostly mostly stemming from <laughs> making risky and overconfident decisions. Um, yeah, so uh, this is what this is dealing with. Um, I don't know. Is this too? Is this interesting or too in depth? Or... <laughs> it is. It is very interesting because I was just thinking, like, okay, so how? Just especially the, the part where you're bringing the gender, like, uh, considering the gender in your research, and you saying that whatever you found out is actually different from what you were thinking about, and. Do, can I ask a question <laughs> towards that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, how were you using? Pre, I'm assuming you're using primary data. So you're, you're the one collecting the data, right? Yeah, that's when okay. we did what you call a. It was like a field experiment, a lab in the field experiment. Okay. Like a, imagine like a psychology experiment, but uh, done on in villages. Yeah, rather than oh. university labs. Okay. Um, and I, yeah, I can get into like what we did uh, if if you want. Um, but um, yeah, like in short, lab in the field experiments. This is like a lot of the we call it behavioral economics, which is mm. essentially psychology applied to economic uh, uh, mm. context. Uh, and the problem was um, most of these psychology experiments were being done in uh, in Western universities with uh, with college students. Uh, I think the I think the acronym they use is weird white educated industrialized. Can't remember what R stands for in dem democracies. Like, so basically this very, and they call it weird because it's a very weird subset of, of the world. Uh, most people are not white and not everyone's educated. Not everyone's living in democracies, yeah. So we can't base all of our knowledge on um, psychology and behavioral decision-making on, on these populations. They're not representative of the world by any stretch of the imagination. Um, mm -hmm. So... Um, behavioral economists developed what, what we call lab in the field experiments. So it's basically taking the same controlled laboratory settings uh, used for psychology experiments and just running them in uh, for, with, with populations that uh, we care about. Not that we don't care about uh, college students, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but our research is on farmers. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so doing it on so these people, like the, the people who you're researching about, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is how this like style of research uh, came into being, um, which, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fairly, yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, so yeah, then like what we did is we, um, we gave spouses, we had spouses participate in our experiment. Uh, and the goal of the ex like the task involved in the experiment is we had people sort cups of beans so we would fill up like plastic cups full of um, two different colors of beans and if you sort all of them 
then um, you pay up. Uh, and there are two different types of cups. So if you sort one type of cup, you get like a certain return. We'll pay you this much no matter what. And then uh, there was another type of cup where if you sort it, you might get a very high return, but you might get the no return at all. Um, so we were trying to understand how are people weighing these risk-taking decisions? How are people choosing between a safe asset and a risky one? Um, and how is gender coming into this? And how are the negotiations um, coming into this? And how does who performs the labor? What does that have to do with it? Um, so yeah, we sorted beans with like uh, 500 some Tanzanian uh, uh, farming comp uh, uh, couples. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, we just, uh, it, it was a bit fun because we just watched how they behaved and the decisions that they made. And um, we got to see like, uh, yeah, like how, how they did this negotiation process and what were the inefficiencies, who was making the best decisions. Uh, and, and yeah, we found that if there's communication and they make more sensible decisions that lead to higher returns. Um, if there's not communication, then you get all sorts of inefficiencies. Um, so this is a bit of what that experiment was doing. Um, and I, I think this is, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just going off in tangents now. <laughs> um, no, it's okay. But I think, and this is... like speaking, hmm? speaking to our like very first uh, uh, topic. I mean, this is really where like the social sciences is trying to emulate uh, uh, the harder sciences, uh, the the harder sciences, because we're seeing all the laboratory approaches with the controlled, um, like double blind uh, medical trials and all of this. Uh, and the social sciences are now really starting to incorporate this idea of control groups, experimenting, um, field experiments, laboratory experiments, cutting. Um, so this is really what we're trying to I love that research, actually. It's just, it, it's interesting. And I think res results from that may help in terms of uh, how we implement certain things, uh, considering where we're implementing them, right? I think it's, it's, it's very important research. And I love that you talked about that. Um, Though we won't go into more depth, <laughs> this is yeah. out of my own curiosity. Actually, <laughs> I'm just curious because I'm in an agricultural um institution, and I I try to see what the you know the social scientists in our place try to do and how they they talk about this gender thing in their research. You know, I'm a lab person, so there's so many things that I don't understand normally in such certain conversations. So this is me out of curiosity. <laughs> I just yeah, want to understand, no. okay, so how do you do the experiment? How does it th this thing play a role in this and why are you doing it? Like, such things, yeah. Sweet, this is all purely me. <laughs> yeah, and I think the gender component is just like super, super fascinating mm. because, um, mm. yeah, I mean, it's almost accepted as a fact now that women are making better decisions in the household. They're spending their money on things like clothes and school feed or school fees uh, and food, uh, whereas men are more likely to spend it on what we call temptation goods, cigarettes, alcohol, or. <laughs> 
like more individual consumption yeah and so like a lot of the research community mm. is trying to figure out like okay like how can we get programs that are going to to target women more and put more decision making in their hands and because they're making so far the data shows they make better they make better decisions um, that will benefit the entire household and not themselves um, so now it's it's really good because we're seeing mm. uh, most funding proposals now. Like if you don't have a gender component, uh, yeah, you'll be kindly asked to add it. Or, um, so it's really nice to see that this is becoming a priority. Uh, hmm. Okay. So, all right. So. Um... So we'll go to the, I don't know if you want to, if you'll be able to remember all of them, but tell us um, about the laws that you've experienced throughout this journey to here, to where you are right now. Um, yeah, so I think, I mean, I think the biggest low was that first, the first year of the PhD for me, uh, where... I wasn't really sure, like, if I wanted to be doing this. I wasn't super happy, um, like, living in the Netherlands. Nothing against the Netherlands. It's a, it's a lovely country. It just wasn't the, mm -hmm. the right. It wasn't the right place for me at the, that time in my life. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and so I think I think I struggled with this. Like, I would come home from work sometimes and make pros and cons lists of like. Uh, continuing, continuing the PhD, I was like applying to several other positions just to see, just to kind of like feel it out, see what other options were out there for me. And so mm -hmm. I think I was very close to um, to quitting uh, because I, I was just, yeah, I felt, uh, yeah, I felt like the task of, of completing the PhD was insurmountable. I felt like a bit isolated and I didn't even, I wasn't fully enjoying what I was doing. Uh, mm. So I think that was, that was a bit of a, a low point in my, uh, in my research journey. Um, yeah. I mean, what else? I mean, there's lows all the time. I mean, <laughs> like in statistics, right? You have, <laughs> You have global, you have global minimums, and you have local minimums. Uh, so we get local minimums every week. Yeah, I mean sometimes uh, it's just very frustrating. You're trying to make a deadline, and sometimes the analysis is never working out. Uh, there's problems with the code. There's all these different things. So there's, um, yeah, there's all these issues. And I used to view a low as like, okay, like I have this hypothesis, and then I go to the data, and I can't. I can't find any evidence for it. Uh, this means I got to go back to the drawing board. I'm doing something wrong, you know. Uh, but now, now I've learned to see that this is part of the research process. It's not a low. It's a, mm. a point of learning. It's a point of understanding. Uh, um, yes, it is so research. Think, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think I'm I'm starting to take some of these lows, right? Uh, I don't want to call them lows, mm -hmm. maybe these, these pain points or these issues that make like, ah, we open up the email and we see somebody's comments on our paper and it's like, oh my God, uh, like it's the worst thing ever. And then uh, like I'm starting to, 
see these things. They're not as bad things. They're not as lows. They're just as like opportunities for improvement, for learning, for. So I think, yeah, especially towards the beginning of the PhD, I didn't have this mindset. I wasn't. Uh, I hadn't like. Um, I, I don't want to say I'm mature, but I hadn't matured to my point of immaturity that I'm at now. <laughs> to, to, to like realize that. Um, oh my goodness. So, yeah, there was all these like. Right. So yeah, there's just like all these small things that would like bother me uh, that like don't bother me as much now. So I think, uh, um, yeah. But Is that I don't know. all in terms of... I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think so, because, um, I mean, obviously, like, a lot of times, I mean, I mean, there's just, like, a lot of minor setbacks, right? Uh, yeah. Like, oh, my paper didn't get submitted to a conference, or, oh, like, I didn't get accepted to a journal, or, um, oh, this project fell through. Oh, I was supposed to collaborate with this person, and it's not going to work out. Or like, you know, there's like all these like small things uh, that like are constantly mm. happening, uh, and I feel like mm. I don't know. I'm building up a sensitivity to it. Like it's part of life now. Like it's part of like moving on as a researcher. That like there's always going to be things that aren't going my way and not working out. And, like, uh, I mean, even last week, I could probably give you like <laughs> examples of things I wasn't happy about. Wow. <laughs> uh, but, like, so I don't know. I mean, um, I can't, I, I would say, like, after my first or second year, like, I stopped. I stopped letting them bother me so much, like uh, all these things not working out or like an application gone wrong and it's like, okay, this is part of the process. Like, uh, um, so no, I mean, I think like that was the big low point was this like year of uncertainty and like, uh, yeah, I mean, really not enjoying, not enjoying the work, not enjoying the process and then like, and you're not enjoying the overall process, it's like every minor setback becomes a major, like a major setback. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so like looking back on it, I could see like some of the things that bothered me, I can look back on now and be like, like it wasn't that big of a deal. It's just that I was like, I was upset about bigger things. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Like, wow, that's 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 a nice point over there. <laughs> like, I've never thought about that. Like, we when you're in very uh, weird positions in our lives, or when you're not happy necessarily, when something small happens, okay, not small, when something that can be managed happens, it becomes amplified because of all these things that you're already facing. 
But yeah. when it's something that we love and we enjoy, when a certain setback comes into play, it isn't as huge. It is a setback, but it isn't as huge of an impact to someone because your mind already is in a very different space. I love yeah. that you said that. Like, oh my goodness. Oh, for sure. And this is like one of my biggest lessons from that like I would take from the PhD life to like personal life. Because now, like, someone will say something uh, that I'm, like, instead of, like, someone will say something stupid and, like, I'll get angry. And then it's like, wait a second, am I angry about that? Or did something happen this morning that put me in a bad mood? Yeah. Or is there something more overarching yeah. that's, like, making more more sensitive? Like, um, so it's oh really looking goodness. at issues in personal life where I'm, like, Ah uh, no, actually, this is very manageable. Like, uh, I just can't let different issues influence it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Whoa. I think that's probably the biggest thing the PhD's taught me. <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying when you when you when you said that, like the things that you learned during the, your PhD that um, you apply now in your personal life. A personal growth as a person, as a human being. All right. So, um, if there's any no other law, is there any other law? That, I don't think so. Since um, there's okay. I <laughs> so tell. Mm, sorry. I I know you. I yeah. Um, I, hope I know that's what okay. you know. What? <laughs> like I no, hope it's that's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's totally okay. I just do want you to have another one that you want to speak about, then I cut you off. No, no. Okay. 